0: uh, um. We go back and forth about film.
1: I'm Dakota Arsenault.
0: And I am Andreas Babiolakis.
1: So it's been a little while since we recorded, it. And now that we're recording this, it's been a little while for the subject matter. We're going to talk a little bit about the Toronto International Film Festival, or TIFF, as you'll here for be called. Uh, and it ended. It was in September It was a pretty big deal, as it always is in Toronto. You know, you got lots of celebrities, you got the red carpets, you've got all the the big-name art house people coming to town, and, of course, the parties. Uh, This was the first year that Live in Limbo has covered the festival, although we did it in a bit of a unique way. Normally, there's press screenings, or, you know, we get approved to cover the actual premieres and things like that or you buy tickets or whatnot and that's how you review it except for for us this year we actually went about what was it a week two weeks before the festival started and we got to see a whole bunch of films mostly you um but still it was a very unique way to sort of experience tiff before tiff even started what did you think of that
0: Yeah, it was absolutely interesting, which I've actually got a story, which now it's late enough I could share it publicly. Um, I've had a few interesting experiences. You know, I had the typical TIFF experience where I did go to the actual festivals myself. You know, I um, I saw some screenings with family members. I took my girlfriend to a gala, which had, you know, like, discussions and everything. I had the actual TIFF experience, the whole lining up, everything. But to have the screeners beforehand where you're watching these films by yourself with like maybe like five other people in the room. And just to understand that this is this gem that a lot of people are trying to dig to find or they're spending so much money on to get a hold of, it's it's something truly remarkable. But it's I think you'll agree when I say it's probably the most I've ever felt highly responsible for the well-being of a film i know whatever i write is not going to reach the entire world i mean it's accessible by the entire world it's online but i i have the like we were given the potential to do whatever we want with the information that we had so it was the most that i ever felt like i had kind of like this little secret that i couldn't spill you know whether i liked the movie whether i didn't it was this little thing that i just i couldn't really go on about because I knew that there was this big special moment for a lot of people whether they wanted to see these movies that I liked whether they wanted to see the ones that I didn't like I had this responsibility and it feels great now that it's well past Tiff date and again I've got a I've got a story which I think is, is quite amusing because I think it'll play heavily into the entire episode what we'll talk about now what we'll talk about later and how everything ties up but It just felt like I had, like, top-secret classified information. How did you feel?
1: Uh, I agree, you know, and I only went to one screening. I went and saw uh, Stonewall, which is the new Roland Emmerich movie, who's known for his big disaster films, who did a movie about... Gay rights riots in the in the nineteen seventies in San Francisco in New York, sorry. Um, so that's like a weird departure for him. But there was only I think about seven or eight people. Um, and when I was signing in on the sheet, you know, you got to see what the publications are. So there's like someone from the Globe and Mail, someone from the Toronto Star. Uh, I think there was like a couple people that were there from like. Um, uh, gay magazines gay advocacy magazines and things like that or, or whatever the website sort of thing so it's kind of interesting to like be sandwiched between these special interest groups and these like big name publications and i'm right there with them seeing the same thing in a and small little theater it's kind of a it's a really unique way of doing it um I, I really wish I was able to see more. you You were able to see a few more. We both work during the day, so it's a little bit tough sometimes to get out. Uh, <laughs> harder for me. Uh, but you saw quite a bit more. Uh, do you wanna do you wanna go over a couple that you you saw and some quick thoughts on on some of them?
0: Sure, I'll quickly go into that story I was uh, about to mention as briefly as possible because um, again, I think it'll tie up into subject matter later on and everything. but I saw, I saw something that I actually shouldn't have. I I was asked to go to TIFF. I was asked to review this one film. And I asked at the front desk, what theater do I go to for the film that I mentioned? And I won't mention what it is in case, you know, I'm expected to have a, an overdue review, which I never ended up doing because I never ended up seeing it. Um, I was told X theater. I went upstairs to that theater. I asked again, is this the theater? And they said, yes, this is it. Go right on, and it just started because I was running a little bit late. I go in and I somehow accidentally see an almost finished version of one of the hottest picks of the year, Room, you know, starring Brie Larson. And I, I guess I was one of the first people in the world to see it. It still had like additional dialogue readings at the bottom in subtitle form. They had like fake snow effects. Like I saw it when it was still not entirely finished. So i mean i talked about it with whoever was in the room they said uh, obviously i guess we can't do much now because you're here but you know you can't really say too much about this until it's out and well i guess because of that now i have a little bit more to say about something that's considered that's considered a, a big a big contender let's say later on and it did really well at the festival as well now one of the films that I watched legitimately was Gaspar Noé's Love, which I love Gaspar Noé, no pun intended, but I, f- I feel like if you're a diehard fan of his, you'll be into this. If you're on the fence with him, this might be the one film that doesn't do too much for you. If you're very anti-Gaspar Noé, this is certainly not going to help. It's If you don't know much about it, it's this film about about a young man who's caught himself in a love triangle where he's cheated on his girlfriend and he's basically started a life with another woman because he's had, or they've, they've conceived a child during their, their adultery. Now, a lot of it is through flashbacks and a lot of it's through his mind about the regret that he feels, the life that he had with with his old girlfriend. But the catch here is it's got unsimulated sex sequences, which... There you go, Gaspar Noé doing controversial things again, and all of it's in 3D. Now, the weird thing is, for a Gaspar Noé movie, it's actually relatively tame, Uh, and it it doesn't expand too, too far, but as weird as this will sound, the 3D is actually pretty astonishing. It does something different, where it doesn't pop out at you, for the most part, it mostly plays with lights and shadows. So if you're interested and you want to see an artistic side of Gaspar in a way that you won't ever see, despite it being highly self-indulgent and kind of amateurish, give it a shot. Um, but aside from that, yeah, I ended up seeing a few more at the actual festival, which I'll go into very briefly, uh, because I actually have a few capsule, pod- or a few capsule reviews which could be found on Live in Limbo. I saw Natalie Portman's debut directorial film, A Tale of Love and Darkness, which has been getting mixed reviews, but I liked it. I thought it was a great debut. She was a great actress in the film, and a great director with a great sense of style. A little bit flat in terms of its balance, but aside from that, I think it's worth a shot. I saw Julie Delpy's film Lolo, highly comedic, a little bit misguided with the way it wants to portray its plot, but aside from that, you know, Danny Boone and Julie Delpy are terrific in it, and they're great, they have great chemistry in the both highly comedic and it's quite a darkly funny film at times i think it's it's worth a bit of a shot as well and the last film i i covered was actually anomalisa the newest film by charlie kaufman his second film as a director and his first film diving into animated uh animated films and right now it's on my top film of the year and it's an absolute masterpiece i'll go more into it once it's actually out maybe we can do like a kaufman episode or something in december when it's actually out. but for now i'll keep quiet about it because it's best to go in it blind so those are the
1: films that i caught at TIFF. that's pretty cool yeah i liked stonewall i um i gave it a 7 out of 10 i think it's pretty interesting but i can easily see how people probably really won't like it or be indifferent about it um So, you know, take that as you will. If you're into a a sort of a unique view of gay rights history, check it out. But don't see it because you like Roland Emmerich films because you probably won't like it if that's the case. Um, Now, I guess uh, I also want to talk a little bit about uh, the legacy of TIFF. like. It's it's long been considered sort of the launching pad for Oscar campaigns. Uh, because you know you have con that's earlier in the year, uh, and then some other festivals like Tell You Ride is only are only starting to get big or um, Venice, which used to be later, so that means TIFF got all the big movies, but now Venice is actually uh, right around the exact same time as TIFF, so you actually have some competing films. What are the big films going to go to Venice? Which ones are going to go to Toronto? And, and so it's become... I, you, you have to wonder if that's weakened TIFF's brand at all, but still, it's got a, a pretty big history of playing a very vital part in awards season, Um, like, do you have any, anything to add about that? Like your thoughts?
0: Absolutely. Um, I'll go briefly into it being weekend per se. I don't think it's weekend as a whole. I just think that maybe some years, and I don't think this is because one festival is better than the other. It just, it's, it's a mixed bag and a gamble of what each festival will, will produce and what they will get. That'll determine how well they'll do in award season, like 2013 for TIFF was extremely strong we had gravity we had 12 years of slave we had a bunch of other big favorites But last year we had you know for our people's choice award for instance we had the imitation game that won and we didn't have some of the bigger films that were being featured like we i don't believe we had birdman right
1: yeah I, i don't believe so i can't remember for sure but i'm pretty sure it wasn't there
0: yeah whereas this year we've had some pretty strong contenders i mean we've had room we've had the martian and, and I can go on. But we've had some films that have, that have really hit the spot in terms of critical favoritism, in terms of what they're predicting to be nominated or what they're predicting to win. So already we're doing pretty well. Having said that, I absolutely love TIFF, not just because I could be self-indulgent and watch all of these films myself, nor is it just this great opportunity to see or meet celebrities. I mean, this year alone... I didn't get to meet anybody, but, you know. I saw some faces like Jonathan Rhys Meyers, Ron Perlman for a Stonewall. I saw Kate Mara and Shia LaBeouf. I saw Gerard Butler getting drunk at a bar. You know, it, it's it's nice to to kind of look around and see who's who's floating about. But then you also get a chance to meet some of your some of your idols or some of your favorite people. Like, I mean, I got I got a chance to see Charlie Kaufman, who hands down is probably my all time favorite screenwriter. I got to see him discuss his film. And two years ago, I got a chance to actually meet and talk to Jessica Chastain, who is one of my favorite contemporary actresses. And it's, it's great because it doesn't feel like you're invading their privacy because you're in an academic situ- or scenario where they're discussing the films, you're discussing the films with them. It's very engaging. And you're talking about all of these things with the masters there. Have even aside from all that, if you don't go to films, if you don't meet any celebrities or, or go sightseeing, you still have the atmosphere. Like if you think the Blue Jays and and their their playoff wins now have made Toronto go crazy, yes, they have, but at the same time, maybe a third of that energy that's going on with the playoff season now with the Blue Jays just because it's something we haven't experienced in a while. You get that every single year with Tiff, where it's still always a little bit buzzing. You know, there's always a little bit of excitement and you can always bank on it because it's always there, no matter how good or bad the batch of films are. I love that season. I love seeing the orange logo mixed with the orange leaves in the trees because it's the start of autumn. I just, I love all of it. It's great.
1: Yeah, it's really good. And and I think think the reason why TIFF does so well is because the people that come here to bring their films here uh, appreciate... The crowds that turn out not and I don't mean, you know, because Matt Damon has 2000 people screaming outside of the theater for him, but because, you know, at cons, you have such a weird re- reaction sometimes where, you know, you will have half the audience boo and leave and it turns out to be the highest critically acclaimed movie of the year <laughs> or some some weird stuff like that, whereas Toronto just seems to be like a really big movie lover environment and i that's not just canadians or torontonians that are there because it is a real big tourist attraction so you have people from all over the world come to experience it and so it's kind of really cool and plus the fact that they 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 really do put an emphasis on canadian filmmakers you know where where would where would canadian cinema be without tiff you know without championing people like adam mcgoyne or or david cronenberg or jean-marc valier or um or uh denise villeneuve or people like that who uh who really have put their mark on canadian cinema over the last you know few decades uh deepa meta things like that um so i really appreciate that now uh i guess to pivot a little bit you were talking about room earlier and that won the people's choice award you know unlike something like uh cons or the berlin film festival where they have a jury award uh prizes to the top films at the end of every screening, uh, there's cards that you can fill out where you basically write down what your pick for favorite film of the festival is, uh, and then uh, it's called the People's Choice Award. So it's a little bit unique because you know uh, you can only go to you could go to one film if you want pick up one of these ballots and write down that one movie, even though you haven't compared it to anything else. Yet still, usually the one that wins is one that a large chunk of the TIFF. Audience has seen because there really is a, a, a bit of a fostered community where you don't just go and see one. You know, you go and see two or three a day, and you see you know eight or nine in the week if you're able to. So it's pretty cool that you know, looking back at the the People's Choice Award winners, it really does reflect sort of not always you know critically the best film of the year, but usually a mix of one of the highest critically acclaimed films with also one that's, I don't want to say crowd pleasing because there's been some (laughs) winners that aren't exactly happy films, but, uh, but ones that, you know, the audience can all sort of agree on and be like, yes, this is a good film. So I like that. And the, the great thing about TIFF is I was saying how it's a bit of a precursor to the Oscars. Previous, Uh, People's Choice Awards winners that went on to win Best Picture are are films like 12 Years a Slave and The King's Speech and Slumdog Millionaire and American Beauty and going way back, Chariots of Fire. So like all those films won Best Picture. And so that means the fact that Room won, it's basically in contention now to be a Best Picture nominee, uh, which is pretty crazy.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And if it doesn't win Best Picture, chances are it'll at least be nominated. Again, Imitation Game won last year for the People's Choice. It ended up winning just for its screenplay, but look at how many things it was nominated for, including Best Director and Best Picture. So that alone is a very good sign for a a film like Rurum, I would say.
1: Yeah, there's, there's been five Best Picture winners that came out of this, but then eight other films have also been nominated for Best Picture but didn't go on to win, which the fact that they're only crowning one the fact that there's that many nominees and winners out of the group, and the film festival's only been going on since 1978, is pretty crazy to, to show just how important it is.
0: Yeah, not to mention that TIFF's harbored a lot of big, big films. Like if you sign up to their Facebook page, they'll permanently just be listing off all of these films that that they've had in their festival, which maybe not have had Oscar wins or nominations. But, you know, they go on to become classics. Like I mean, Reservoir Dogs is a film that was featured, and that didn't really get much Oscar praise or, or love over there, but, I mean, it's, it solidified itself as being one of the greatest debuts in any director's filmography. And I guess like any other f- film festival, TIFF will have its good and its bad, but it's, it's something when the pulse of the audience is able to pinpoint what exactly is great about a festival like TIFF, and something I love, I don't know if they've done this since, but I remember when 12 Years a Slave actually won for the People's Choice, they ended up having more screenings of it just to get it out there because it won. I don't remember if Imitation Game or Room had that, but um, even so, just to be able to have these opportunities. I actually saw 12 Years a Slave shortly after TIFF. They um, uh, Ryerson had, I believe it was Ryerson, Ryerson or UFT had the rights to one of the reels left over from Tiff. And I ended up watching it like a month before the film even came out. And that's the thing in a place like Toronto, you have these opportunities to watch. Some of these are absolute masterpieces. Like 12 years of slave is easily one of the best films I've seen in the last few years. And it's great that we have access to this. And it's great that Tiff is pushing for us to have access to this. They let us vote. they'll, Give us additional screenings if it wins. They they want to share the excellence that is film. When we're in a time where we have a lot of films that are overtaking the box office that aren't necessarily terrific, we're in a great area to be exposed to such high quality films.
1: Yeah, and it, it's great. Uh, I say we're going to take a, a short little break, and then we come back. We're going to sort of switch and continue to talk more about what we can expect from Oscar season coming up oh, 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 oh. right so before the break we were talking about tiff the legacy and the people's choice awards and room and that automatically makes room at least at least in you know the the front runners to be nominated and potentially even win uh there's going to probably be up to 10 best picture nominees this year last year there was only nine so there's that off chance that the same thing might happen and i think based on that win you have to assume that room is firmly in that top 10 if not top five to be nominated and to win which is pretty crazy um and i guess we're gonna run run down some of the other potential best pitcher nominees uh we both saw the martian i'm it's probably going to be nominated. I I wasn't super crazy about it, but you know, it kind of hits all the right notes as far as it having a, a good screenplay, good acting, good direction, good special effects that it'll probably be there. Um I you liked it too, didn't you?
0: I did, but I feel the same way as you did. I feel like in terms of it being a film, it again, it checks off all the right boxes. It's got a plot that moves coherently. It's got good acting. It's got good directing. It's got a good sense of its own atmosphere. I don't know if it'll end up pushing enough to actually win, but I think because of all that it's done, especially technically, it's going to be nominated for a lot of the special effects, a lot of the cinematography and editing, and just a lot of the -the behind-the-camera nominations. Maybe it'll get one for Matt Damon as well. Because of all of that, it probably will be nominated for Best Picture, but consider it a film like Les Miserables, or Inception where it won't end up winning the top prize, but it'll definitely get its its just desserts with with all of its achievements within the film. Because it's a it's a solid film. I just don't don't know if it's strong enough to actually win.
1: I could see that movie being every year there's always one that gets between, you know, five and eight nominations but goes away empty handed and you're just like, wow, it was nominated in a lot of categories. Uh, I can definitely see The Martian being one of those where you sort of forget that it gets nominated in a bunch of things because it goes away empty-handed unless, you know, it picks up some special effects things, but you can never really tell what the Oscars are they're going to go with like the the stupid CGI Michael Bay style film or are they going to go with something more like Gravity, which The Martian is a little bit closer to. Um now there's another one that you've seen you actually just saw and you just reviewed it by the time this goes up, you know, it's no longer going to be just, but still Steve jobs. You went and saw that that's on my to see list. That's a film where I really don't care about the subject matter. I could care less about Steve jobs himself and Apple and all the sort of things. But when you're mixing Danny Boyle and Aaron Sorkin and Michael Fassbender, you have my attention.
0: Let's not forget the rest of the cast, including Kate Winslet, because on my radar, as far as I'm concerned, this movie will have wins, and I'll tell you where it will. It'll be nominated for Best Picture, I'm guessing. Probably for its screenplay as well. It'll probably get nominated for some things like editing, maybe even cinematography, because Boyle's work Boyle's work with the cinematographer in, in this film is pretty strong. I will tell you, it's going to get nominated for quite a few things. Maybe director, I'd have to see what else is out there, because Boyle's directing is pretty on point here, but I'm guessing at this point, it'll not only undeniably be nominated for these two categories, but it might actually win for Best Actor and Best Supporting Actress for Winslet and Fassbender's top-notch, realistic, powerful, powerful performances. If they push this film in the wrong direction and they try and get Winslet for Best Actress, she might lose to another contender, which we'll go into, Brie Larson with Room, or maybe even Emily Blunt with Sicario. But... If they keep her in the best supporting actress category, this film might actually have two wins in its in its acting. But apart from that, I see getting a lot of nominations, maybe not wins.
1: From from what I, I was reading and sort of been been delving into, I wonder if uh, you're you know a little too pro Kate Winslet. I know everyone loves her, the Academy <laughs> loves her, but uh, I've read some reviews that were kind of iffy, especially with her uh, accent that seemed to come and go as the movie went. Uh, really? Yeah. And a little too Aaron Sorkin-y, which uh, that's I think that really ha- depends on your thoughts on Aaron Sorkin. You know, is it the newsroom or is it the social network West Wing Aaron Sorkin? Like where do you fall under that sort of thing as a fan of of his writing?
0: Yeah, well, that's why I feel like it's gonna get nominated, but maybe not win, because again, I know how people are with Aaron Sorkin. The social network felt more like Aaron Sorkin for the people, where everybody understands what he's going on about and what he's trying to say. But it's not the newsroom, but it would lean more towards the newsroom because it's got a lot more to say, but it's a lot more angry about it in Steve Jobs. Um, I'm still staying firmly put with how I feel about Kate Winslow's performance and especially Fastbender's performance, which is easily one of the best of the year. But With Sorkin, I feel like he's going to get nominated. I don't know if he's going to actually win. But if he does, I would be pleased.
1: I know it always seems like supporting actresses is always one of the weaker categories for for whatever reason. Uh, I know the last few years that hasn't been the case, but if it is for this year, I could, like, you saying Kate up being nominated, I'd say, yeah, I I would not be surprised. You know, the Academy loves her, whatever. Um, So... If she's in there, I wouldn't be surprised if she's nominated. If she wins, I don't know. Uh, she definitely has some some tough comp- competition, especially if, you know, a film like The Danish Girl, uh, if they push uh, Alicia Vikander in the supporting category as opposed to Best Actress. And if they push her there, then, uh, you know, there'd be some pretty strong competition. Uh well-
0: it would be wise if they did put her in supporting because let's, let's briefly look at who we have for best actress, potentially Jennifer Lawrence for joy. We have um, Brie Larson for room. We have Emily blood for Sicario. I mean, who else is there? And that's just off the top of my head.
1: Probably Kate Blanchett for Carol. Right. Um, Ellen actually, page for which one, which one is she in? Uh,
0: oh God. What's it called? The one with Julianne Moore. I'm gonna have to look this up
1: yeah' I'm, I'm, I'm bringing it up right now uh, yeah, yeah it, it's so tough with with trying to pick the actresses because you never understand where they're going to go with that um, freeheld is the one you're talking about Yes
0: exactly yeah So it's a tough year for best actress so a lot of these a lot of these have to be pushed into the right category if they feel like they're strong enough to compete with the top dogs in and Best Actress. But for now, I think there's enough space for some of these picks to be trickled into for the best supporting. So maybe that would be the wisest.
1: Now, to go slightly off-topic, the one thing that I, I sort of like about the Academy is there's usually a couple surprise uh, surprises thrown in in the way of super small indie films that sort of come out of nowhere and also foreign films where there always seems to be at least, you know, like one foreign film that kind of creeps up there and gets a couple uh, interesting nominations like uh, Amour or films like that for Best Actress for Emmanuel Riva. So I, I'm i excited to see who sort of rises to the top because there's definitely some uh, some surprises for us. That's just a, as a little aside. Um, we are talking about carol for Kate blanchett that you know todd haynes is, is the director of that is really well liked in the critical community but he hasn't really been able to translate that to oscar success uh but Kate blanchett is super loved by the academy and rudy mara is in that as well and she's been nominated so like the, i i definitely expect that to probably be his most uh mainstream critical success even though um todd haynes isn't really a mainstream director
0: well, you never know, because look. let's look at somebody like um, Alejandro Iñárritu, who, with his most bizarre film on paper, ended up dominating the Academy Awards. But you look at some of his more humanistic things, like Beautiful and, you know, Babel even, and yeah, maybe they had a little bit of nomination success, but... You just, you just never know, because sometimes these are the kinds of directors that just have a, a massive, unexpected turning point within the Academy. So this could be Todd, Hay- Todd Hayden's year, you know?
1: Yeah, I definitely believe that. It's, it's been... Apparently, this was filmed a few years ago and was supposed to come out last year, and it got pushed back. And unlike most films, when they get pushed back, that usually means it sucks. Uh, I think this just has to do with Todd Haynes working on the editing and things like that and being slow and meticulous as opposed to the studio holding it back. So who knows with that? Um, you mentioned uh, Inyoritu, um winning for Birdman last year. He's back again this year with the Revenant. Uh, and you know, you watch the trailers and you don't learn anything from the trailer other than the fact that it has Leonardo DiCaprio running around in a bearskin fur bear jacket or whatever you want to call it, uh, looking disheveled and dirty and angry. That's about all you know. You learn more from the IMDb one sentence synopsis than is revealed in this trailer.
0: Yeah, this one looks interesting because this looks like the biggest departure for Inorita because usually he's... I think this film will also dive into characteristics and almost like a hunt for survival, but usually his hunt for survival is within society that he looks in, you know, uh, like a family full of poverty, let's say, or political scenarios. In Birdman, it's, it's a washout who's trying to... Find his place back in society. Here it's from the way it looks, it's literally somebody removed from society, you know. And we've got a pretty killer cast. We have Leonardo DiCaprio who has been nominated a few times, still no, still no gold. You have Tom Hardy who hasn't been nominated ever, which I think is kind of sad, actually. So I hope between this or some of the other films he's been in, I hope he gets at least something this oh, year. Oh, I, th- I think
1: he'll be nominated for Supporting Actor for this. Like, the ba- this is, like, his Academy film to be nominated for.
0: I certainly hope so, because, I mean, he is a terrific actor, Tom Hardy, and I know he's had some questionable roles, but he's always been electric. He's always been kind of like a Nicolas Cage without going overboard. He's always got a little bit of something interesting to add. You know, even in the ba- in, in The Dark Knight Rises, his voice might have been weird, but it was memorable, you know. It was something that really stuck. Now, speaking of Westerns being featured on on Christmas of this year, actually, we've got... Ooh,
1: I know where you're going with this.
0: <laughs> we've got an homage to two Westerns, The Magnificent Seven and The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, with the despicable Tarantino film The Hateful Eight, which... I cannot wait for this one
1: for it's weird like normally I'm super pumped about Oscar season and there's like you know two dozen films I cannot wait to see the, these films that we're talking about I, I want to see but for the most part I'm pretty indifferent about it or I'm just like oh okay if it doesn't get nominated I, I and I don't get a chance to see it oh well uh, hateful eight I, I'm probably going to be first in line to see that. I am such a huge Tarantino fanboy. Uh, I know some people are a little indifferent about some of his films. You know, you, you know he's got his masterpieces and then sort of his, his weird ones that don't quite click. I don't think he's made a wrong move ever. Like I, he cannot do any wrong in my books. And with the cast, his dialogue, the cinematography that they show in the trailer, the fact that it's going to be shown in 70 millimeter film. Oh, I'm swooning. Catch me. I'm falling over. I'm going to faint.
0: <laughs> it's interesting because we thought we were getting his first Western with Django Unchained, which in the end, it ended up being like a throwback more to exploitation films like Shaft. Well, in the end, and he ends up making the two lead characters in the film basically shafts. What is it like his grandparents or his parents? I don't remember. Something
1: but, like that, yeah.
0: Yeah, like shafts a descendant of them. So in the end, it ended up being more of a throwback to like the 60s and 70s films of that nature. But this time, we're getting a full on spaghetti western. From what I could tell, no quips, no other genre mixed infusions into, into the big cauldron here instead we just have a cauldron of despicable people again it's a hateful eight it's the good the bad and the ugly but instead of having three with different qualities these are all just eight disgusting people and tarantino is probably the best and one of the best of all time the best of our time when it comes to making actual characters you know, a lot of the time it's up to the actor within films to make the characters. But there's a reason why he's stuck onto specific people like Samuel L. Jackson and Christoph Waltz, because these are people who know how to make these characters that he's put on paper come to life, because he's so particular with how he makes these people that you don't leave going, I love Samuel L. Jackson. You leave going, man, I love Jules. Like, the way he he shot that guy in the face, it was amazing, (laughs) you know? With other films, you'll say... oh, I thought Eddie Redmayne did a great job with Stephen Hawking. You know, well, that's a biopic. That, that's kind of playing it safe. I don't know. Let's look at American Hustle, for instance. For David O. Russell, Tarantino's claimed is one of the best with character designing as well. Even so, I still felt like Christian Bale did a terrific job with, I don't even remember what his name is, but I came out of Inglorious Bastards thinking... I don't know who that guy was, but Hans Lando was an asshole and I loved him.
1: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And I think Tarantino is the only guy, like, I think dialogue is a big part of making these characters. You watch the trailer and you see Samuel L. Jackson sitting in that um, horse-drawn carriage, basically explaining the plot, which is something you never are supposed to do as a screenwriter, talking about another character, basically giving their backstory. And it looks cool it sounds awesome no one can do that and get away with it but tarantino and, you know also it's because of jackson's charm and things like that the way he, he reads it but still you know you plug in any any one of tarantino's actors into that it sounds badass no matter who was saying it and that says a lot because i hate exposition heavy dialogue
0: <laughs> it's funny you should say that nobody does this better than tarantino because there's actually a trope called tarantino wing where people since have tried to do what he does where you'll have two gangsters talking about burgers
1: and the they l- fail no one can do tarantino <laughs> i know this is gonna turn into a tarantino love fest right now but yeah, i don't so. care i don't care who knows that i'm in love with qt
0: Exactly. Well, QT—that's that's because that's what he is, I guess. I don't know, but everybody else fails, and that's the thing. Nobody has. Tarantino is the biggest film geek in existence, and because of that, he—that's why he's awkward in interviews, and that's why he's awkward as a person because he knows nothing but films and how they work. He is a film himself, so only he knows how to make chit chat within films, and I guess before we. Tarantino even more and go off topic even more without a point. Um, let's rewind a little bit back. I briefly mentioned Eddie Redmayne. Now here's a director that you and I kind of feel might be a little bit over over touched with with critical praise. He is he is good, but let's talk about the Danish Girl, where Tom Hooper might be might be hitting something that could be his biggest stride with Eddie Redmayne and as he said, Alicia Vikander with. What well, seems to be probably what could be the biggest period piece of the year. I mean, what what do you know about this so far, and have you attached yourself to any of it?
1: Um, I've watched the trailer a couple times. It's about the the first transgender person who's played by Eddie Redmayne transitioning into a woman. Uh, the trailer seems way too overdramatic, and I hope that's just the editing because well you know i know you're not a fan of the King's speech i liked i liked it more than you did um his last one was lame Miz, which i absolutely hate it and i think <laughs> you you like that one a bit more than i did I, oh god I, I, no i didn't did you hate it as much as i hated it um i think so but uh it's
0: unfortunate that a movie that's got such a great scope and good cast and everything, and it has problems as well, but it's unfortunate that a movie that big is often my go-to for examples of bad editing.
1: Okay, all right, that's fair. Um, yeah. So so we, we sort of agree that, you know, the films has some pretty interesting stuff going on that he's worked with. It doesn't always work, and it's probably a little overpraised. Uh While I like The King's Speech, it definitely wasn't my favorite, and I know you really didn't like it. Uh, I, I thought, you know, Jeffrey Rush was sort of uh, the saving grace for that film. But here with The Danish Girl, I'm watching the trailer, and I'm just like, wow, he's like taking the worst parts of his filmography that I dislike, and, you know, packing it all in and, and make it very over-the-top. But with Eddie Redmayne, you know, last year... Um, Winning best actor stealing it away from Michael Keaton, which I thought was actually very deserving. His performance was great. I thought uh, the movie was, was so so. I'm blanking on the name of what, what was the name of the movie? Sure a Theory of I'm Everything. Saying? That's it. Yes. Wow. Uh, Theory of Everything. I thought that movie was a little so so buoyed by an amazing performance, one that you know is going to be studied and talked about for years to come, which instantly makes Eddie Redmayne. One of the most interesting actors out there working today, and I, I love Alicia Vikander, uh, ex Machina. She was fantastic. Um, she's also great in a whole bunch of other things. She's good in a small part Anna Anna Karenina. Um, she was in The Man from Uncle this year and was pretty good in a sassy little part. Um, so the two of them together sort of has me excited that you know even if the script is a little over dramatic, the performances will still be really strong.
0: Yeah, which it's unfortunate because it, it it's not it's not good to look at a film and say, OK, this is this is aiming for Oscar Bay, you know, or even if it's not, it's it's not it's not entirely great to at least know that something might be attributed as such, which Tom Hooper films. He's got a lot to say and he also doesn't. Um <laughs> I like the King's speech. I just don't know if it deserved to win in what is probably still the strongest Oscar year we've seen in a very long time, that in 2007, Or just a year in films entirely. Never mind Oscar year, right? Now, having said that, the King's speech felt natural. It felt it wasn't it wasn't like things were being hammered into your head, but it was still a little bit over dramatic, let's say. LeMiz was in your face, over the top! Oh my goodness! They're cutting every five seconds. Insanity, you know. Except for the, you know, like the big Anne Hathaway sing singing moment right now with the Danish girl. I saw what you saw. I saw a lot of dramatic emphasis, and that's from the trailer alone. Which usually the trailer downplays and makes things boring, not the other way around. So unless they went over above and beyond to make the trailer overly interesting. Who knows? I'm with you. I think it's going to be an acting platform. Not much more.
1: Yeah, I don't know. Um, We're running a little bit long, but I I still want to briefly touch on Joy. Not excited for that at all. I used to to like David O. Russell. I was never like a super fanboy for him that I know some people are. I think The Fighter is his best film. Um, But I'm really sick of him using jennifer lawrence bradley cooper robert de niro all in the same films i get it you you're like <laughs> jennifer lawrence and bradley cooper uh so i i have i really have no interest to see it and the trailer is confusing as hell that i don't even know what the plot of the movie is so i, I that's going to be a slog to sit through
0: <laughs> we'll see um I've never been the biggest fan of his. I've had a bit of respect for him. Maybe not the way he he treats his his workers. um, I heart Huckabees, anyone. But I'm on the same page as you with Scorsese and De Niro or DiCaprio. For some reason, it doesn't feel like it's being hammered into our heads. You know, with Tarantino and whoever he's worked with a million times, you know, it doesn't feel like it's being hammered into our heads. This feels more like Johnny Depp and Tim Burton, where it's like, we get it. You get along with these people, you know, it for some reason. And I think maybe it's I think I think maybe it's because we're getting a lot of the same qualities out of these characters. Like we get it. Johnny Depp's weird. You know, we get it. Jennifer Lawrence can be like emotionally combustive and Bradley Bradley Cooper could be exciting, but also a little bit weird, you know. And we're getting the same qualities out of these films, like the same characteristics. Whereas with DiCaprio, you know, one minute he's got obsessive compulsive disorder and he's stuck in a room urinating in bottles. And the next, he's like the smartest person in America taking over wall street. You know, I think that that might be it. We've got to see something a little bit outside of David O. Russell being David O. Russell. Now we just went on and on about Tarantino and he's, in the same boat where he's as electric and magnetic, but at the same time I feel like it's still vastly different stories, like ones yeah, there's still a lot of them are revenge films, but you know, they're, they're different enough that we're getting something a little bit new each time with David Russell, you know, a lot of the time it feels so samey and it's weird because, you know, one movie's about boxing the other movie's about mental illness, and the one afterwards is about like heisting, but it all still feels so similar, I don't know
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, Spotlight's another one that looks like it's going to be a big one with the critics. It's about the... Boston Globe looking into uh, the sex abuse scandals by the Catholic Church. Um, it's not one I'm super familiar with as far as you know the, the pedigree behind it, but I still think it'll probably get some attention. I watched the trailer. It actually looks pretty interesting. Um, but like I, the rest of the stuff seems like the real big ones. This is sort of like, you know, what w- might be there, might not. Who knows? It, it It's not quite a long shot, but I don't know how serious it's going to be.
0: It's got a massive cast, though. I mean, you've got Mark Ruffalo, Michael Keaton, who both were nominated last year, actually. Lee Schreiber, Rachel McAdams, John Slattery, Stanley Tucci, Billy Crudup, et cetera, et cetera. So that alone might get quite a push.
1: Yeah. Uh, And then I think the last, like real best potential one would be hail Caesar. Uh, the new Coen brothers film. The problem is it's coming out in February. So I don't know if it's going to be able to do the circuit in time to be able to meet the qualifications. Um, Coen brothers are, are much like Tarantino for me, where I believe they can almost do no wrong except for that weird little, um, sojourn they did in the mid two thousands, (laughs) um, with like lady killers and, um,
0: intolerable (laughs)
1: cruelty uh outside of that they they basically have a a perfect resume even like their their lesser films like true grit are still really really strong
0: yeah i don't know i just saw the trailer for that film the other day when i went to go see steve jobs and i was laughing in the theater which i never do with trailers because i usually don't have the build up enough i was on the floor with that film so I, i can't wait for that either I'll briefly go into Room because we actually managed to kind of skip it. Uh, brief look into it, directed by Lenny Abrahamson, which I think he's going to get nominated for best director. Room will definitely be nominated. Um, there might even be a, an odd chance that the young boy Jacob Tremblay's character might actually be nominated as well, if it's not too tight. You never know because we've had child actors before being tossed in, like you know Anna Paquin. Uh, for Vajene Wallace, if I pronounce that correctly, for Beast of the Southern Wild. So it's not too far of a stretch, but uh, just quickly, I'm calling it now. I think Brie Larson's got a chance for actually winning Best Actress. We'll see, though.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then there's some other like long shots where uh, Black Mass, you know, that was critically p- panned by most people, but... I think there'll probably be more than a few fans of it that it you know if it gets in there, it won't be a total shocker. It's nowhere near likely to win, but who knows? Um, what, like bridge of spies where where's your theory, where's your thoughts on Spielberg's millionth pairing with Tom Hanks?
0: <laughs> Could get some stuff it might get maybe for writing. I don't think it'll get any of the top dog ones because I think it was released maybe too early given its subject matter and the kind of push that it's getting. But, you know, it might get some stuff for, you know, editing or, or screenwriting maybe. But then we also have a, uh, Dennis Villeneuve's possibly strongest film in terms of popularity. Cause I still think his, his masterpiece is also on D, but we have Sicario, which is getting a big amount of buzz. And that's something with staying power, where you have Emily Blunt. A lot of people are predicting that she's going to win Best Actress. You have Benicio Del Toro possibly being nominated again after a big a big drought of him not getting anything since Traffic, I think, right? You have Josh Brolin. That's another really strong one to keep an eye out for.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, inside Out, you know. I, it was pretty well received this year, but when you compare it to other Pixar films, uh, it sort of pales in comparison as far as the reception both uh, by moviegoers and critically. But it might sneak in there if, if the voters decide to throw it, a little curveball into the mix and have an animated film in. Um which basically means it's probably the the real front-runner for best animated film, uh, but that totally depends on the reception of uh, Anomalisa uh, because that might be too adult or too weird for the, the animated film voter. So that'll be an interesting one to sort of pay attention to. Um, and then there, there's other ones like uh, Suffragette. I've, I, that's another one where I, I don't really feel much of an interest to see it.
0: No, we're on the same page there. Just to rewind very briefly, it's been an insanely strong year for animated films. We have, we saw uh, the, the Little Prince and The Good Dinosaur to still come out, but um, with, with Inside Out, it's considered a big return for Pixar. I know some people have been a little bit about it, but some people have been massive about it, and they felt like it's possibly one of Pixar's strongest, depending on whatever side of the fence you're with, so... It's weird because that one's being considered for Best Picture, but a lot of people, maybe it's too early, maybe you're right, are thinking that Anomalisa might even be the first R-rated film to win Best Animated, but as you said, it might be a little bit too weird. I'd like it if it got nominated, but um, those are possible Black Sheep that could be nominated. If I prefer Anomalisa, but if I had to pick logically, Inside Out might, but at the same time, it might have come out way too early. Yeah. You know, so it might have lost its push, but back earlier in the year, it was a, it was actually quite a strong contender that a lot of people felt where it's going to be actually a front runner, maybe not to win, but to be nominated.
1: And then there's a film like Forty Five Years, which is a really small film, British film that um, did really well on the festival circuit awards winning for, for the two lead actors and that Tom Courtney. And I'm, I'm blanking on the name of, of the female lead for that. That might sneak in. Uh, who knows with that, you might see a best actress nomination, um, for, for whatever her name is. I'm going to try that. Charlotte Rampling. Charlotte Rampling. Yes. Thank you. Um, you know, sort of like the, uh, more thing, uh, who knows, I, I I don't know. That's one I really want to see that I'm actually am sort of excited for, um, but I don't know how seriously it'll be taken.
0: It could be the Mister Turner of the year, where it gets very little, but enough to for the Academy to be like, yeah, yeah, no, no, we did see it here. You have some nominations, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Who knows? You know, it might be one of those films that's undermined, or it could be the Philomena, where it actually gets what it deserves right so
1: yeah yeah i don't know uh and then a super long shot maybe something like trumbo uh the brian cranston movie about uh the blacklisted writer dalton trumbo uh i think that will be a bit of a, a sort of a fun hollywood revisionist history thing but um i i'm, I'm sort of i i want to see it i don't think it's going to be you know the best film of the year but i do want to see it i'm curious
0: it's doing decently, which usually means that was one of the darlings at TIFF that we might know a lot about because we were in Toronto we, and we've heard the buzzing around TIFF, but otherwise it might just kind of get lost in the mix, kind of like Looper did when it actually opened TIFF. Or, uh, you know, something that's not as great, like uh, the Fifth Estate. that's the one with um, Julian Assange, right? The Fifth Estate? Yes. Yeah, which ended up not doing too, too well. Like, I just disappeared with tiff sadly um, well again that one wasn't too good but something better like looper I've been feeling trouble is not gonna make too big of an impact but it could be worth watching just because of its cast and its subject matter so
1: yeah um so yeah there there you have it we we kind of went through uh the ones that we think are, are pretty much locks you know we can, we'll say that as sure as we can since we haven't seen most of them and the ones we have seen who knows how that's gonna Come around in February when the nominations get released, or end of January, whenever that is. Um, there's lots coming out. There's going to be some surprises. I'm always excited to see what foreign films or documentaries might make a big late push. Uh, foreign films are, are, are my favorite category to watch because those are, are hands down the most original, unique, and sort of breathtaking films. So hopefully there's some some good surprises that come out. Hopefully some of the ones I'm a little ambivalent about, you know surpass my expectations and blow me away um it'll be an interesting year i'm sure i don't know if i'll have time for it but i'm sure i'll find a way to do my um my my oscar articles that i've been doing the last few years on the website uh and of course on contrazoom you know the last two years um our brother podcast capsule hosted by mr sean chin has hosted our oscar roundtable that's going to switch this year to ContraZoom, uh, and hopefully we'll have Sean back to to join us, and we'll uh, you know make a fool of ourselves by making all of our picks incorrect, like we always do.
0: <laughs> Not all of our picks, just just usually the biggest ones when we can't pick, this be- when we can't pick between Boyhood and Birdman, you know. So we'll see.
1: Yeah, uh, I'm excited. Oscar season's great. It's good for the movie calendar. So uh, either way, I think it'll be an interesting next few months. Uh, I'm sure there'll be a lot more movie reviews by yourself going up as these big marquee films go up. Uh, We'll link to, you know, the Steve Jobs one and our our TIFF capsule reviews where that was mostly your work, not mine. Uh, So, you know, you'll get lots of Andreas Babiolakis writings to read if you did not catch up on them the first time.
0: (laughs) Believe me when I say they're worth it, I hope. I don't know. We'll <laughs> see. But expect a lot of those because I've already spent a lot of money just on, on films that have come out recently. You know, The Martian, Steve Jobs. Uh, I'm going to be seeing Room for the second time this weekend when it comes out in Canada, actually. So here we go. <laughs> I'm excited. It's my favorite time of year cinematically, even more than TIFF absolutely
1: um music this week is from mirian k she is a toronto singer songwriter uh and if you go to the show notes you can find links to her music and and learn more about her she's a fantastic talent and i really think over the next few years she's going to get a lot more attention she's got this really amazing powerful voice um you can follow me on twitter at dgapa
0: and you can follow me and share your Kate Winslet fanboyism with me at Andreas Babs. Uh,
1: you can follow the show at Pod. Uh, make sure you check out LiveInLimbo.com where all of our show notes are going to be so you can maybe, you know, check out some trailers, see the ones that we were talking about and, and all that sort of great stuff. Uh, we've got some interesting episodes coming up over the next few months and hopefully, you know, everything goes to plan. Uh, so keep on listening. Thank you so much and take care.
0: And so sweet.